back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, sitting here today with Jessica Taylor. Hello. You're the head of uh, spirits education and mixology for Southern Wine and Spirits in Indiana. Yeah, so I'm the mixologist and spirits educator for awesome. Southern Glazers. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm still uh, kind of feeling the weirdness of my voice and getting used to it after the, after the tonsil licked me. It's, oh. I can hear, especially when I'm on a microphone and I've got my headphones on, I can especially hear how my voice doesn't sound quite as yeah. as much. I don't know. It just sounds different to me than it used to. I think to. it's because you need more rum. Yeah, it is always. <laughs> well, I do have a glass of Agricole, which isn't, isn't that rare. I mean, you, you were kind enough to pour me. Made a little devil's deal for a bottle earlier, yeah. so I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't about. know. What? What? <laughs> but, no, I wanted to talk with you because we are going to be together uh, tomorrow. I'm g- helping to teach the rum section of your course that you do a couple times a year. Is it a couple times a year or just once a year? Um, <clears throat> well, it's a little bit different now. Um, once a year in Indy. And I run a a smaller, what I call the compact edition in other markets uh, outside of Indianapolis. So how many, you teach a spirits course that's designed for, um, is it beginning bartenders? Because Um, I I know when I've taught it, it's been a lot of like kind of green. Yeah, it's, it's certainly appeals to that entry level mm-hmm. uh, bartender as far as spirits knowledge is concerned. Right. doesn't necessarily mean they just started bartending, but right. maybe they're just wanting to start to learn about the spirits. Um, but it also really, I think, appeals to those who feel like they have a good foundation of spirits knowledge, but they just want to amp it up. And you know, we have speakers come in from all around the world, and we're really, really lucky to have you right oh, here thanks. in Indy. Yeah. So, um, for those who don't know, I use and abuse you every single <laughs> No, it's year. fun. I like, I like doing it because it's a chance to get out of my office and, you know, teach people that are, you know, want to be here to learn it instead yeah. of forcing my will upon <laughs> unsuspecting customers. Like, hey, have you heard about the latest AOC developments? And right. Yeah. Not not exciting for everyone. So it is nice. And, and I think the, like, the cross-section of people, like, I mean, you've had people from 21 year olds that just came into the industry fresh to yeah. like, I mean, um, we had, uh, Kendall Lockwood's mom in a class a couple of years ago. Like yep. we, she's been on the show before on our, um, episode with, about ball and biscuit. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, so yeah, we have a wide range of ages that, uh, sign up for the class every year and from every kind of bar you could imagine sure. from, you know, beer and shop bars to craft bars and everything in between. Um, definitely lots of hotel bar bartenders like to come in and take the course. And it's just such a passion of mine, uh, having attended the Academy of Spirits, uh, through yeah. its inaugural. Well, so that's class. what I was going to get to, right? Cause you're pretty young. And so how did you get into the business? Like, tell me about your path into this because going yeah. from, you know, Nothing, because, you know, back when we started, it was harder to find the, quote, craft cocktail, and then now yeah. you're teaching that. Yeah. So, so uh, well, I got into the industry in, gosh, 95, 96, mm-hmm. um, and very typical way of getting in the industry for that time period. Uh, I was young, I, I don't know, 15, 16, okay, somewhere in that like, vicinity, well, yeah. um, and started out at a, a chain uh, a mediocre chain restaurant and was <laughs> you're, you're, you're shitting me in the, in the in, 90s in Indianapolis. In, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Things have changed, folks. But was, yeah, the 90s was not a good time. Yeah. It was one of those places where 
uh, a certain song comes over the oh Jesus the the loudspeakers and you have to stop what you're doing and you have to dance and sing to it. It was one of those kinds of places. There may or may not have been peanut shells all over the floor. Oh, okay. It wasn't owned by a guy that wears parrot hats or anything like that? No, it wasn't that. It was not that. Um, But same, those things are, they're all kind of the same, the same theme, right? So I did that for a number of years, actually. I have uh, quite a bit of loyalty to any place I've ever worked. And so I think I worked for them for five or seven years and always kind of had another part-time job along with it. But I started out uh, at the front desk. I was a host and I, at some point, ended up being the dishwasher and I was a salad prep person for a while. And I really ran like through almost every position inside of the restaurant um, long before I was 21. So I never really was behind the bar, not legally anyway. And then went into management. And when I started working downtown Indy in 2002, uh, the day I turned 21, I gave my boss an ultimatum, said that if he didn't make me a bartender, I was leaving, which I was totally not leaving. I had no other job prospects, (laughs) but he bought it or just felt really bad for me is more likely and let me bartend. And it turned out I was pretty decent at at it. So um, at a different place, it was downtown Indy though. Uh, I was working for a place called Alcatraz Brewing Company. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I worked for them for nine years. That was one of our early like beer bars. Yeah. They brewed their on premises and like- that Good. was way before the craft beer boom. Oh, yeah. So it was <laughs> I remember really... hanging out there, God, when they opened, like, 97, probably? Yeah, they opened in 95, and I started there in 2002, and it was still cool when I started there. And it's really for microbreweries. It was just Alcatraz, the Ram, mm-hmm. the Rock Bottom, yep. and uh, Broad Ripple. Yeah. And that oh, was... Yeah. Broad Ripple's that, awesome. Because yeah, they've They're been there, like, awesome. forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really it. There was no... There were no other microbreweries mm-hmm. around town. And now there's only a 700 more. Yeah, just a couple. <laughs> it's crazy, though, because now, um, you know, so looking back into into that time when we were making our own beer and we only sold our own beer. We didn't sell commercial beer at all. Right. I do it remember that, that. It was a struggle. So I remember being really busy during those conventions and things. Mm-hmm. You know, all these big groups come in and. I want a Bud Light, a Coors Light, and a Miller Light. And you're like, we're 20 deep in the bar and having to stop and explain, well, we actually brew our own beer. And would you like to try this? Now, were you doing cocktails back then? Because I'm not. Yeah. There were. Okay. Because I didn't remember. I I know I sat at that bar a couple of times. Uh, Actually, I think one of my ex-girlfriends worked there previously. She probably worked for you. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't remember having anything but beer there. Well, that was certainly the biggest seller. Sure. But we had a cocktail menu as well. And even for that time, so we're talking... 2002, I think I started in the bar in 2003. Okay. So I was probably writing the cocktail menus by late 2003, sometime maybe 2004. Do you still have a copy of that first cocktail menu you wrote? Was it like cranberry did. juice and pineapple? And it was like... <laughs> Every, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of accessibility back in 03. Every flavored vodka sure. you could ever <laughs> imagine paired with all of the juices. And, and, yes. <laughs> and did it, all of them end in teeny? Oh, <laughs> several of them. Yeah. I do remember putting a, <laughs> putting a, a whiskey cocktail on the menu which did not sell like ever, <laughs> but it was my token whiskey cocktail and it had Jack Daniels and apple pucker and something oh. else, probably sour mix. And like it, it never sold. Probably because it wasn't very good, but <laughs> um, but I was like, 
yeah, we should have whiskey. Whiskey's cool. And everybody I worked with was like, well, she's an idiot. <laughs> so, um, but if the only <laughs> If only they would have listened and we would have bought all of the bourbon back then. Yeah, right. But now I've quintupled our money. Yeah. But uh, I started doing fresh juice in my cocktails and on my menus. At in, Alcatraz? Yeah, in 2007. Okay, okay. And that so was... you were there until 2007. Wow. Yeah, so I stayed there until we closed in... December of 2010 and I stayed through the bitter end okay. and uh, through the sale of all sure. the equipment and all that and then that's when I started working for JW Marriott oh wow so, so you literally I, went from working at the very well so your very first place was the peanut shell place yeah then you're moving on to a beer bar but with yep. some cocktails but that was kind of like straight through the kind of beginnings of mm -hmm. the, the, the the sprouts of the cocktail Renaissance that yeah. we are now calling it. And so, yes. you know, and then you ended up at the JW, which I mean, that was, that's still one of our newest hotels and it's the most uh, probably popular hotel, I think in Indianapolis yeah, now. Yeah, it's huge. It's where all the stars stay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. At the time when we opened that property, it was the largest JW in the world. Oh, wow. Which was a pretty spectacular It's a beautiful hotel. It's gorgeous. I've drank vodka in there with Carrie King. <laughs> <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> I, well, I take that back. Carrie drank some vodka, and I was drinking uh, Zacapa because. Um, well, were you, were you the food and beverage manager? Uh, I was the lead bartender. Okay, so well, I don't want to tell you what I did then because Jonathan then you're Sellers get in trouble. would have been. Oh. The well, I think he was the beverage manager or beverage director at the time. Well, I do remember I sitting at the bar with uh, with Carrie and uh -huh. Chris from Inferno, and I think maybe Chuck from the Saint Elmo Steakhouse, and. They'd already been out a little bit, and, and Carrie was staying at the JW because Slayer was playing the, the next night. And so um, he was drinking his drink, and I went up to the bar, and I asked, hey, do you have any rum? And this kid, man, he, was, he couldn't have been 21, 22 years old. He was turned around, and he looked at all of his bottles, and he's like, uh... <laughs> I was like, it's over in that section. I can already see it. Like, the rums are <laughs> over there. And he's like, oh, yeah, how about this? Zacapa. Uh, I was like... Not my first choice, but, you know, uh, sure, I'll have a glass of that. You know, it's fine. It was better than some of the unaged, like, Puerto Rican expressions on the bar. And he poured, I fucking am not kidding, man. <laughs> it had to have been a five or six ounce glass. And I was like, geez, dude, how much is that? And he was like, uh, $7. And I was like, uh, uh, okay. Oh my so then God. He, he, he looked at Chris and he's like, what do you have? He's like, I'm having one of those. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> then we finished that bottle of Zacapa that night. It's like. Hey, man, $7 a glass. For the I'll record, I was not working that no. night. I know nothing no, about you that. No, de you definitely weren't there. Yeah, that dude would have been fired if you had been working that night. But if you ever had any missing inventory, I can tell you where it went. Right? <laughs> so Jonathan that's cool. Sellers is cringing right now somewhere. Yeah, like, Jonathan, don't listen to this. Um, so you now, are, you've made the jump to Southern. But I, when did that happen? Because I remember you working at both places. I remember mm -hmm. when you were working at JW. Um, after we opened some restaurants and I don't remember that kind of distinctly when you switched over to the distribution side. Yeah, I did it kind of sneakily. Um, so throughout the time that I worked for Alcatraz, uh, I also worked for uh, a vodka brand for a while. I worked for Van Gogh Vodka just on a consulting basis. Is that the one that's missing an ear? <laughs> Sorry, it's <laughs> yeah, a bad joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had There's a marketing... <laughs> angle right there that they've missed out on. They could put an ear on one side of the bottle. Yeah, right? That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> um, so I, I wrote some drink recipes for them, like, in the, I don't know, 2007, 2010 range. 
made some really good contacts with them and with some of their higher ups and their owner, as a matter of fact, was how I got the job. He called me randomly one day. So I did that always while I was still actively bartending and then went to JW, opened that. And then I heard about this thing called the Academy of Spirits and Fine Service Mm. that was starting uh, a program through at the time it was Southern Wine and Spirits before they merged with Southern or with Glazers. I remember a lovely gentleman by the name of Jim Finnegan came in to the J-Dub and he's like, hey, we're offering this really cool class. And um, I know you're all about spirits and, you know, like every bottle on on the whole bar. And I was like, I don't know if I know that, but (laughs) I I totally dig spirits. And yeah, I'd love to learn more. Cool. I'll take this class. And it was like a couple hundred bucks. And so I came in and took the inaugural course for the Academy of Fine Spirits. Yeah. And I was valedictorian in my class and won the cocktail competition and the whole nine. A couple years later, I got a job with Absolute. So I worked for Absolute uh, for a little under a year uh, and did some, I think my title was brand specialist with them. So I did uh, like brand launches and parties, industry uh, get-togethers and educational opportunities, as we like to call them. <laughs> and uh, and then when I left Absolute, uh, that's when I started working for... So it was Southern Wine and Spirits at the time, and then we merged a year later. So now that you're running that course that, that you took previously, yeah. now that you're running it, do you start every class with like... Not only am I the teacher, but I was also <laughs> right? a student. It's uh, like the hair club for men. I, I do, I do <laughs> mention it. And I usually talk about my mom because I love my mom so much. And she's such a, an amazing inspiration. It's just like my biggest cheerleader. She and my husband and my daughter are my biggest cheerleaders. And um, my mom is such a big fan of what I do and just... She's like what you expect every mom, I guess, to be. She's just so proud. I could, you know, draw her the worst picture in the world, and it's the <laughs> right. best thing ever to her. So, does your mom was, is, is she into spirits at all, or does um, she ha- know anything about? I mean, it? she likes to drink. Yeah. So, well, no, the reason I ask is because my parents don't really. Um, it's they don't really drink that much either. But when I, I bring home cool, rare yeah. things, I want to share it with my dad or my mom, and yeah. you know. And my dad's just like, well, what is this? Is this is good as Fireball, you yeah. know? And, and so that's kind of how so my it's mom hard, was, right? To like yeah. kind of chip away at that. And like I was thinking, you know, a lot of your students are probably in that kind of same boat, right? Like, I mean, you yeah. only know what you've been taught, and if nobody's been there to show you, any yeah, different, you don't know what you don't know, right? Right? Yeah. So my mom, being such a cheerleader for me, actually took the Academy of Spirits. Really, she, <laughs> she did. went through the whole course. Yeah, I want, I want to bring my my mom. She has and dad nothing in. <laughs> to do with our industry whatsoever, and has to the best of my knowledge zero um desire to sure. ever be but she just was can really into can she make a good cocktail now yeah <laughs> yeah she understands basic cocktails and she knows she my mom loves gin and so she knows why she likes certain gins and she's like oh i really like the botanicals on this one or wow that's you know, cool i really like the process and i'm it's yeah it's the greatest i think thing you ever. sold me i'm gonna like beg my mom and dad <laughs> my dad just retired like two months ago and be like i got a project for yeah, you dad right <laughs> Going back to the class itself, so you've got this wide range or wide range of students coming through, and I mean, how do you build a curriculum? Because that's a daunting task, and I know that me myself, as having taken that rum section for the last three or four years or whatever it is, I, every year I tweak it a little bit based on the prior year, which always bites me in the ass because it's not the same group of people every <laughs> yeah. year, right? And so some years you might have people that are a little bit more experienced, and mm. some years you might not, and so I'm always trying to trying to figure out like. 
I've gotten to the point now where I just kind of ask in the beginning because I think I'm what like usually five weeks in, six weeks into the yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, usually. I'm like, right who knows? Like, like column stills. <laughs> Pot stills, like, do we know that much yet? Because yeah. if we're good there, then like I can blow past a lot of slides here. Yeah. And sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. To your point, it certainly depends on on the group each year. Everybody, you know, kind of catches on at, at a different, I guess at a different point throughout the throughout the course. But I think I feel like I make it, I tweak it enough every year. Mm -hmm. I try to get it just a little bit more organized and you know, if I feel like maybe we were really light on a certain portion of information, I try to build that up a little more. Really, it's just it's getting them ready for Ed. <laughs> getting them ready to yeah to, to go out into the workforce and like then I take that part seriously when I'm yeah. in here because you know I could come in here and just you know line up a list of rums that we're going to do in the tasting of things that are just, you know, unicorns out there. Like, Hey, we just right. need all failure and four square stuff. And here's the rare stuff. And that, that I want you to taste. And, but that doesn't do anybody any good because they're going to go out into a bar where the owner is going to say, dude, no, we're not right. bringing in the whole line of exceptional cast selections. You know, we, we need something that we can sell. And some yeah. of them might be going to work at dive bars and they might have one bottle of rum on the shelf. So I try to keep that in mind. You know, when yeah. I'm doing my my part of the set uh, of the class, but I haven't attended any of the other sections. So, um, yeah. So we've kind of evolved over the past few years. So I took over the academy. I was trying to think of this earlier so that I'm accurate. I believe that this is my fourth year running the academy. I believe I might be off a smidge, but I think that sounds right. I've always had something to do with it. Mm -hmm. I've either come back to teach classes or I might sit in on a class and just kind of weigh in here and there. Um, but I think I took it over fully four years ago. So how do you get them? So like, I am really curious about this curriculum because of that wide range of experience. And you said your mother attended a class. Yeah. So Because you also, I mean, you, you have to teach to that level so that she can understand it and feel like she got knowledge out of it. Right. But also... You don't to feel the like guy that's working at the high volume bar that right. is like, yeah, dude, I already know what a classic Zachary is. On. Exactly. So, I mean, how it's do you start to delicate. chip away at that stone? Yeah. I mean, that's what we try to do at the podcast or I, you know, I'm always looking to appeal to people in the industry and people outside. So that if my mom were to listen to it, she would get some sort of knowledge out sure. of it. Sure. So, I mean, you literally did that. My mom yeah. doesn't listen. <laughs> she doesn't listen to this show. But but your mom actually did come to the class. So, you know, in, in that regard, like, how do you, do you organize it in a way like you would, like, uh, uh, if you were teaching a high school class? As I mentioned, this thing has kind of evolved over the years. And I learn, I learn so much from it every year, not only from my speakers that I have come in, but um, just from how the class sure. works and how they react and you know, the information that they're able to retain. Um, so what it has turned into starting this year is I think it's a we're up to 16 weeks now is the course. OK. Oh. So when we started, it was 12. And I just kept finding a need to add another class. Not because, oh, we need to give them, you know, more bang for their buck or, you know, I want to make this as long as a traditional semester. It's just I really found a need to spend more time on certain topics. So, for example, when I took over the academy, vodka and gin were in the same course in mm. the same uh, the same day, the class. And I think after the first year of doing that, I thought this is silly, like. We can very easily spend three hours on vodka and three hours on gin, no problem. So we started doing that. So that's, you know, added an extra week. And then I decided 
that I wanted to add uh, a distillation class. Mm. So we have a full yeah, class just on distillation. We don't talk about too much about you know the history of certain categories. We just talk about the history of distillation and you know like what is a column still and how mm -hmm. did that come about. Um, and that's it's a tricky subject. I yeah, mean, column stills can be very confusing to people that don't know how they work. Yeah, you hear all these things and you hear column still and patent still and pot still and batch distillation and what the heck does all that mean? So we have a full class dedicated to that. Um, and this year was actually the very first year that I did that where it's it's three hours of distillation and tasting. So we use Steve Olson tasting method um, in our class, actually any of our classes in Indiana. And um, we spent two and a half hours on distillation 101, I guess you call mm -hmm. it. And then like a half an hour or so on how to properly taste. So is that right out the gate? Is That's so yeah. So we did an orientation class, and then week two was distillation perfect. and tasting. That's awesome. And then they do vodka, and then they had gin, and then this week they have rum with you. Yeah, that's that's me. Yeah. But um, well, I've got. Uh, fucking, I love this follow up being the comedian that goes on stage like after Mitch Hedberg or something, you know? <laughs> it's like Tony Abagannum's taught the vodka class last yeah. week, and now I'm like, in, it's yeah. gonna be a big disappointment for everybody this week. <laughs> no, it's, be much, many, many, much fewer autographs, I think, this week. <laughs> we did have a lot of autographs for the vodka class, so we uh, <laughs> we purchased uh several copies of Tony's book, Vodka Distilled. Yeah, I saw some copies sitting and, behind me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we set up a little table for him outside and uh, outside of the classroom. And after class, he sat and did all the autographs. And he's such an amazing guy. He's a really fantastic guy that's like genuinely like loves to be in the business still. Yeah. I was going to try to have him on the show last week. And, you know, I know you were helping me with that. And we just, his, he, what, he... He, his, his flight, flight got, got delayed, delayed like and then 28 he, times. And then he like missed another one or something. Yeah. But, um, and then he was like kind of headed right out and it was a Friday and like, yeah, um, it was a crazy day. It was, I mean, he was here and he was gone. I was supposed to take him to dinner and I didn't even end up getting to take him to dinner cause he didn't get into Indy till like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And the poor guy had, I think he flew in from green Bay. So oh, he, he was just over it. He just wanted to sleep, man. I've had some of those flights coming out of like. Minneapolis, I wouldn't say like Wisconsin, but Minneapolis yeah. where I'm just like, uh, I had to overnight in the airport one time because they forgot to tell me that they had to book me on a flight like 45 minutes after I landed because <laughs> I'd missed the, my connection because of uh, some delays um, out of Seattle. Yeah. And they were like, oh, you're going to miss your transfer. And like, yeah. and I, so I was like ticked and they're like, we can't get you on a flight till tomorrow morning. Like, Aye. all right. And then I hear, like, we go to eat some burgers or something in the food court and I heard over the loudspeakers like, you know. Mr. and Mrs. Rudisell to, you know, gate oh, no. D5 uh, for immediate boarding. Doors are closing. And you're in like A. <laughs> yes, exactly right. That's exactly what, I mean, we were four Concord and we were just like running and we got to the gate and she was like, are you at Rudisell? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I'm so sorry, but we had to let the plane no! go. I was like, what gate did we just walk from? Because I'm going to go talk to that woman that told me that we didn't have a flight tonight. Yeah. And she's like, no, we were booked. We booked you immediately when you landed. We knew that you, oh, man, I was so furious. I, I have not gone that. through Minneapolis since then. It just has left a bad taste in my mouth. Man. Right. So I am get to have that airport experience again here on Thursday after he yeah. takes the class. I'm heading to Asia. So, and I had to pick the like economy flunky like ticket because <laughs> I'm, I booked on credit card points. Oh. And so I like, I, I could stretch it and do some side trips if I 
chose the like you know yeah the if I sat in the galley like in the bathroom and just you know no seatbelt that's also that kind of known as the uh, my expense my expenses yeah. are almost blown so right yeah that's yeah. that's where I'm seated that's, and I'm that's like, what I operate I'm on si- I'm six two. That's I'm like, I'm, there's going to be so no super room comfortable oh for you. That's what you're be, saying. It's going to be so bad. How long is that flight? Um, yeah. So, I mean, total it's 24 and a half hours. Um, oh my so, but God. I get to change planes in a couple of areas so I can stretch. But the section between Detroit and, and Tokyo is I think 14, oh a little over 14 hours. That's going to be brutal. It's, it is. I've done it before and it's not fun. I did 20 hours to Oaxaca 20 hours to Oaxaca, would you go through the North Pole and all around the other side of the planet? (laughs) Well, might as well have. Chicago happened. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah, that's why. Uh, Delays happened and it was... It was really one of those, if something could go wrong, it was just going to happen. Hey, if you're going to get stuck in, in a city, though, or in an airport, Chicago's at least got good food well, and drink. We were, you know? So I think there were several of us flying out, and I don't even, I think that I flew out of Indy. I had to have, yeah. Um, but that's where you some live, of my, so probably. Well, but sometimes <laughs> I fly out of Cincinnati because oh, okay. it's way cheaper. It so is. that's true. Um, so someone was coming from Chicago, someone was coming from Louisville. I was coming out of Indy and we had a couple other ones and the plan was everybody was going to meet up in Atlanta and then hop our next flight to wherever we stopped. I don't remember. And then go to Oaxaca. So the poor guy who was coming from Louisville, um, their plane got struck by lightning. Oh my God. In flight. So that they did, they had to make some emergency landing and he was like, screw this. He got in a rental car and went back home. Yeah. Yeah. And then Chicago, the Chicago folks got delayed by like three hours and then something happened to us. So we got delayed. Long story short, we circled Atlanta when we finally were getting to Atlanta, we we're circling mm-hmm. Atlanta for like, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour or some nonsense like that. And the pilot comes over the the intercom and he's like, you may have noticed we've been making a lot of left turns for the last 45 minutes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. He's like, well, since we've been doing that, we've now almost run run out out of gas. Yes. That's how I ended up in Minneapolis. (laughs) See? That was why, because we ended up having to like go to Des Moines to refuel. (laughs) So we went to Birmingham to refuel and then went back to Atlanta. And then we finally land and we go through things. So it was all in all, it was 20 hours before I got to where I was going. And the trip was only three days and that was including travel days anyway. Sure, so we yeah, were actually yeah. in Oaxaca for like 24 hours. You get to Oaxaca, you're like, where? Give me all of the mezcal. Like yeah. all of it that's available. We got in <laughs> so late and everything was closed. Everything was closed. And the one bar like right next to the hotel we were staying at, amazing hotel, I can't remember the name, but it was so nice. They stayed open for us oh, because they cool. heard about the drama that was happening on us trying to get there. And so they stayed open and they're like, what do you guys want to eat? And we're like, we don't care. We're like <laughs> on our way to the bar. Like we're in in route. And so they made us a bunch of tacos and um, lined up a bunch of beers and some amazing mezcal for us. And they, they just cleaned awesome. and closed as we were pounding mezcal. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, those trips are that's that's a rough time, man. Yeah, I know, so yeah, I mean, well, we started off on that thread, you know, talking about Tony's trip to Indianapolis. But the people you have teaching this class, you you really like reach out to get the best of the best of each category. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn on that. Yeah, no, like, but I feel like the like the odd man out because I look at everybody else. I mean, you've got Camber English coming in to teach ice. Yeah, I'm presuming that like that wasn't part of your original curriculum. <laughs> yeah, you know, I really love ice a lot. <laughs> so six and years I ago, and I also love Camber a lot. 
lot. I yes. get camper. I, br- I try to bring camp- camper to English. Camper, camper to English. English. <laughs> to Indianapolis at least once or twice a year. He's awesome. He is amazing and so much fun. And we like to take take him to a sinking ship so he can do pull tabs. We introduce him to pull <laughs> Oh, yeah. Tabs. He loves the pull yeah, tabs. That's he's right. all about pull tabs. So he's super. Yeah. Th- last time he was in, he was talking about that. Oh, yeah. It's the greatest thing. I'd ever. love to get him on the show and talking about the dangerous cocktails because he and I, we touched on it a little bit when he was on the show like yeah. three years ago. Mm-hmm. He was one of our first guests. And um, but that was right after his uh, gin and tonic book came out. Yep. And but we, he and I have very similar feelings on some of the dangerous ingredients back at that time. Like tobacco tinctures are really prolific, and the yeah, activated I'm just charcoal. Yeah, my head here. Yeah, the activated charcoal just makes me want to grab. I know bartenders or director of cocktail this that and the other, oh, and I'm like, you wrote a cocktail menu. Like, I'm running the beverage program. I'm like, so tell me about your PNL. Like, what's that? And like, you're not running a beverage program regardless. (laughs) Um, yeah. And I kept seeing these like activated charcoal cocktails Mm -hmm. on, I would never name, yeah, I would never name the bars that were doing it, but on bars that were like for indie, like really big name bars. And I'm like, Oh my God, please stop putting that on your menu. You're going to hurt someone. Right. Like, I mean, I have medication that's not life threatening if it doesn't like get into my bloodstream the way it does, but it's certainly medication that I need, you know? And so, yeah, that's, I I, I don't know, man. I'm like, you're going to have a bunch of little activated charcoal babies running it's around not, because yeah, this is right. negating all of right. your birth control. Oh, that's control. right. It negates birth control. Yeah. That's right. Like, dear God, take it off your menu. It's going to be like the baby boom, <laughs> except it's going to be the cocktail renaissance babies. Like, yes. oh, yeah, this is like back in 16 when everybody was making activated charcoal cocktails. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's funny. I didn't think about that aspect. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's immediately where my head but went. So, like, I mean, you had Bernie Lubbers, like, teaching bourbon, and, like, that's what he does in his sleep, yeah. I think, you know? Yeah. And I had, like, for Jen, we had this year uh, Kelly Rivers from Sipsmith. Yeah. Amazing. She has, um, she was just contacted by the Guinness Book of World Records. She has the second largest gin collection, wow. private gin collection in the world. She was telling us how many bottles she has, and I can't remember the number, but it was astronomical. And she was like, yeah, the guy that has the the largest collection has like 7,000 bottles or something. So she has a ways to go, but I mean, logistically, how the hell do you get all these people in? Because <laughs> well, that's got, that's gotta be a trick. I mean, how, how many hard. months do you spend prior to the launch of the class? So the launch or the class is what you say, 16 weeks now, 16 weeks. So how, or, how far out do you start? Yeah. So I usually start reaching out to people in March um, and it usually, starts in, and we start usually the first week of August. Okay. I've usually at least contacted someone the year prior and said, Hey, we run this program. Here's kind of you know what we do. Here's our shtick. Do you think you might be interested? So I've at least probably touched base with them once. But when I actually reach out with details, here's the date I'm looking for, so on and so forth. Yeah, like the end of March is when I start talking to people, and then I just hope and pray that I do have. Do you get it shot down in. a lot? I mean, do you get people that are saying oh, yeah. just like yeah, yeah. I'm just Tons. not interested? Who the hell are you? Why would I come to Indianapolis? Um, that kind of it's stuff. It's mostly. You know? It's usually not so much like. Who am I? Because I mean, not that anybody knows who I am, but it's usually. But you're with more one of the biggest like, distributors in the United States. Yeah, so I certainly have some pull with my title and who I work for. That helps, um, and with my role with the USBG, that certainly helps. Mm-hmm. I frequently drop that because that usually um, sure. helps people understand that we're talking about categorical training. We're not talking about, hey, this is a sales pitch for Southern right. Glaciers Wine and Spirits products. We are all inclusive. I don't care 
who the distributor is, like that's not the point of the program. And that's the thing that I've liked the most about your program is because um, I, I am removed from ordering now, yeah. you know, so I don't often even know who sells what products I want to talk yeah. about when we're doing the tasting mats and getting everything ready. And I always kind of feel like I have to pull back with most people when I do classes or some sort of seminar or anything to make sure I don't insult something that they right. carry. But like I've, I feel like, you know, when you've done this program here, I've been able to say whatever I want to say. I mean, I'm yeah. always care. I don't insult other brands, but I'm welcome to bring in something from all your competitors. And so, yeah. I mean, I know there's been years where we've only had a couple of your bottles in the, on the tasting mat and, and some years yeah. there's more to obviously, you know, with changing portfolios from year to year. Right. And that's, I've and always thought is that it's the way to, to teach because if you're only sticking to your brand then it, you're right. It's a sales pitch. Yeah. And that's not what we're about. We're about bettering the community. And that's what we at Southern Glazers really believe in. That's why we do this program. Cause I assure you, we're not making any money off this. We sure. operate this program at a pretty significant loss every year, but it's really about giving back to our community, to the Indianapolis and, and you know, really the whole state um, of the bartending and hospitality community. We want to give these people knowledge so that they can make their own choices about what makes sense. Because really the vast majority, I'm going to say like 97% of products, there aren't, there really aren't a lot of bad products out there, right? It's just about what fits for right. whatever it is that you're trying to do. Right. If you're running a cool, you know, beer and shop bar that, you know, has a DJ and plays loud music, you probably don't have a bottle of, Appleton 21 sitting <laughs> right. on the bar. But you, you should. Know? So if you're running a beer and shot bar out there with a DJ, please make sure there's a bottle of Appleton 21 in case I randomly visit you. Yeah. <laughs> you may sell a lot of flavored vodka and Red Bull, and sure. that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're less of a person or less of a bar. You're catering to a different group of people. And that's really what we try to stress with this program is that there's just very, very, very little complete garbage out there, right? Like, somebody put their heart and soul, somebody put their life's work into making that product, there's a place for it somewhere. It may not be on your back bar, but there's a place for it somewhere. You know, there, there have been lots of products that have come through these doors over the years. And sometimes I'm like, oh man, how in the world are we going to sell this? I, all my friends that are in like higher ups and distribution, I always tease them when they're like, you know, we're talking about like the geeky spirits and, yeah. you know, some of the importers that we all admire and love. Like I always throw Nico Palazzi out there as a prime example of one of my favorite importers because yeah. everything he touches is amazing and it's a unicorn juice. You know, you have to, you have to take care of every brand that walks in the door. And that's why I think running a program like this is so important to the community because we talk about things that we know are in, in their bars. We talk about things that are in their well. Like, hey, this Puerto Rican rum, it's you know great for XYZ cocktails and mm -hmm. it's very cost effective and it's great to put on a menu because you're gonna make a ton of money. And last time I checked, we are in bars because we need to make money, right? Like you don't just, well, maybe a couple people, but for the most, you don't just open a bar so your friends can come hang out. You're opening a bar because mm -hmm. it's a business. You need to make some money. You have to have a balanced menu. You have to have a balanced back bar and you have to have what people are calling for, what people want. It's okay to have things that they don't know and you know to help kind of walk them through that journey and educate them. But you also have to have things that you know, your average everyday person can walk into the bar and know that they can order whatever that popular brand is. So are you also teaching like how to construct a bar menu? Like, uh, and you know, how to have that balanced 
offering for a wide variety of guests that might you know come into an establishment? Yeah, we do a little bit. So we have, um, along with all of the other classes we have now, uh, we have a Mixology 101 class okay. that comes in, I think it was actually week three. So pretty early on, that. they're so, learning yeah, real early, right, right off the bat. Either right before or right after distillation. Um, and we talk about the basics. We talk about um, like cocktail family tree and kind of how those fit in and just so that we understand the basics of the foundation building blocks of a cocktail. We talk about spirit, sugar, water, bitters. We talk about acidity and different types of acidity and where you're getting that from. We pull out a pH chart and like this year we did 45 minutes on citrus and we had cool. Donnie Clutterbuck talk about via webinar, talk about limes and how it oxidizes and degrades mm -hmm. after so many hours. So talking about things like that, giving them the foundation and the building blocks so that by the time they start learning about the spirits, they can understand, you know, this is why I use lemon with this type of spirit or this is why I use lime with this type of spirit, which helps them build a better cocktail. And then toward the end of the class, uh, the end of the course, we do the ice class for three hours and we have a mixology 201, which is where we get into some of the more... Um, I guess call it aviary kind of things. So we bring out coffee siphons and smoking guns and um, centrifuge and all those fun little toys that your bar may or may not yeah, I saw have. the crucial detail porthole over there. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, yeah, damn, so I can't afford one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so we bring out all the cool, fun toys that a lot of people are like, hey, I can't afford one of those, sure. but you might want to play with it. Yeah. And if it at least gives them an opportunity to see. So you're see. like the liquor version of a guitar store. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They would come in and jam for a little bit. You can't afford it, but you know. Yeah, but it might help them discover a different way of thinking about a spirit or a different way of thinking about a cocktail. And okay, how can I mimic that in my bar program? Or it may be something where, hey, this was such a hit that talk to the bar manager and maybe the bar manager wants to go ahead and buy 10 coffee siphons. Like, and do this cool cocktail program with coffee siphons. Maybe, maybe not, but where else are they going to be able to get to play mm -hmm. with that kind of stuff? Right. Not very Without many committing places, to the so, full purchase. Yeah. So as people are coming through, you had said that, you know, you've got, you had your mother attend the class. I'm going to keep going back to your mom. Right. But like, so everybody else that attends is in the industry in some way, shape or form. Right. For the most part. Yeah. We, it's open to absolutely anyone. That was my question. So how, oh, sure. how does, does someone that doesn't, you know, that's outside of the industry hear about it? Because I know that I'm not, privy to all the USBG emails. I know you, you launch those out. Mm -hmm. I get them sometimes. And sometimes I don't, I don't, for some reason I, they get filtered sometimes. <laughs> so, but if you've got somebody like your mom or like my mom, like how would they find yeah. out about that? You know, it's a little bit tricky if you're not in the industry. So mm -hmm. first and foremost, when it's a limited class size, right? Very limited. Yeah. We're 25 students I think is what we're at this semester. And it is, it is a full room. This room is not very large. It seems it seems large on the blueprints. Once I put all my crap in here, I got really small right. really fast. Um, so we're limited to 25 students. We launch uh, registration, and honestly, usually within three days, registration is full. We fill up fast, and I start a very small waiting list because um, not very many people fudge up and sure. you know <laughs> do something to yeah. to not <clears throat> take the course. But so what I do first is I let I you know plug it all over Facebook and. Mm -hmm. um, and my email list. And then I send it out to the Southern Glazers sales consultants and they let their customers, so gotcha, bars and okay. restaurants know. Um, and that's usually, I mean, I get emails all year long from sales consultants. Hey, when's Academy starting? I have 10 people from this bar that are interested. Um, so I let them know, 
you know, as the minute you see the link, send it to the people that are interested because it, it will fill up very quickly. Are there programs like this in <clears throat> other offices in the country for Southern? We have a few. Not every market has the program because uh, it takes an insane amount of time right. and but manpower that we don't have here, but that I just make work. Um, but we have it in uh, a couple markets in Florida. Well, that's we have home base in, for Southern, right? Or yeah, not. sort of. I, mean, I know we that's have a huge like, market yeah, for them, Yeah, Miami right? and Dallas. So since gotcha. we merged two companies, we sort of have like two home offices okay. now. Okay, I got you. But um, yeah, so we have a couple of courses in Miami, depending on where you are. So Debbie Peak runs one. Okay. She's amazing. Um, Armando Rosario also runs one. Then we've got Vegas, which is where the program actually started. I would just call started. it now, if, if Julio Cabrera isn't teaching all of the rum classes in Miami, <laughs> right? then it's not real. I'm sure he probably does. <laughs> that would not surprise me. We had Martin Kate come out and do it once, but that's awesome. Yeah, I don't know if I can Martin's afford tough. him again. <laughs> he's, he, well, he's tough to get in. Uh, we're going to see him again this fall. Um, after right after I get back from Asia, he's going to be in town doing a uh, spirits nice. judging or something or other. So um, oh, awesome. we're going to pop in and do. A, he's going to do a book signing, you know. Oh, that's uh, great. And yeah, we're going to. He's going to teach a class about Stephen Crane. So hopefully, oh, that's awesome. yeah. hopefully, I'll be able to get him on the show and talk about Stephen Crane. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how we got him last time, which actually was before I was running the program. Uh, my predecessor ran that, and I don't know the details as to how they got him out, but I know it had something to do with uh, oh, going he, to the. Oh, he came back. That's right. I was yeah, part was of going, that. It yeah, was. Um, I he went came, to that. Yeah, he came. Martin came into Indianapolis to. Um, it was for. We had the trip. I think it was we the went. anniversary of Steve Crane's death or yeah, so birth. We went I think out it was his anniversary and of death. Visited. Yeah, we went to visit his gravesite. Yep. And yeah. we drank jet, jet fuels. Pilots. Or jet, jet pilots. Yeah, jet on the end. Well, You may have drank jet, jet fuel. Fuels. It was it tasted like jet yeah, fuel. Yeah, we had jet pilots um, in our uh, flasks on the way up yes. to, the, to the cemetery. And then, it's a long drive. It's such a bummer, man, that like people don't realize how important Steve Crane was to Tiki. I mean, like the big three. So yeah. I definitely want to try to get Martin on the show to talk about Steve Crane because it's a really fascinating story, especially for those of us in Indiana. And He's been forgotten about, but I mean, he's you know from Crawfordsville, which is where he's buried yeah. per his request. And uh, yeah, even the guys, I remember the people at the cemetery had no idea they didn't even know. who he yeah. was or where he was buried. We just had yeah, to wander around. Yeah, we all around. like, yeah, we all had <laughs> like to wander around until we found it. And someone's yeah. like, I found it. Yeah. And then like, we all like huddled around and totally we're drinking our cocktails. And I think we did a little toast and yeah, it was pretty spectacular. So I know that uh, my predecessor, Josh Mason, who ran this program, I know he had him out. Josh Mason ran this before you? Yeah. Hey, I'm just going to send this out to Josh Mason. Screw you, dude. Because now he's what the the vice like president the of the Indy Eleven marketing, yeah, for right for our yeah. for our local soccer club, and fucking Iron Maiden was in town last week, <laughs> and they played soccer with the Indy Eleven, and Mason didn't call me and let me know, and so hey, you're off my list, man. It's <laughs> like when I saw that in the news, I was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. He's with people I know. Like, why didn't they tell me? I want to hang out right? with Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh, Josh Mason. He did so many wonderful things for this industry as a whole, really across the whole country. But we were especially lucky to have him in Indianapolis. And yeah, so he had started this program. And the reason he brought it to Indy was um, through his connection uh, with Vegas and Chicago. So right. Vegas is where the Academy started. Uh, I don't recall the year off the top of my head, but I think Chicago started theirs in like 2006. And uh, I think maybe Vegas was like 2000 or 2002, somewhere in that vicinity, early, early on, especially in comparison to like where Indiana is and mm -hmm. in the cocktail scene. And then so we started ours in 2012. 
And then there's it's a couple pretty early ones. on into like yeah. the cocktail renaissance. And that's what I said, you know, Indiana really wasn't that far behind. I think people consider us behind in a lot of ways and, and maybe in the culinary kind of um, comeback that we were. But with cocktails, I mean, very early on when, when places were just a couple years old in New York, um, yeah. you know, PDT and stuff had just opened a few years before. Yeah. You started seeing craft cocktail bars here. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, I started doing fresh juice on my cocktail menu at good old Alcatraz in 2007. Now, it was not in the exact same way that we sure. use fresh juice now. Like, we were using, we were making sour mix from scratch, though, right, from right. fresh squeezed yeah. juice. But it was all legit. And, you know, I... At the same time, I didn't know at the time, but the exact same time, Michael Gray was working right next door to me over at Canterbury, putting fresh juice on his cocktail menu. And again, we're talking 2007. So that's that's really early on in cocktail resurgence for, yeah, for, sure. for indie, for sure. I was sure. working at places. Well, I guess back then I was working at places that were mostly wine bars. But yeah. yeah, in the early 2000s, it was definitely the sour mix and like the you know, brands of booze that aren't even real brands, you know, like you get yeah. the, you see the labels, you're like, is that fake? Did we buy this in the black market? Is and it, you like hook it up to the gun. So it precisely oh, measured yeah. out like one and a quarter ounce or whatever it was. And yeah, it was supposed to track the inventory, but it never did. Yeah. Not accurately. Anyway. Yeah. I was like, it just made my, my work a hell of a lot more difficult trying to do an inventory. Yeah. No kidding. So what's next for the class? Cause it sounds like you're continually adding, um, and it sounds like there's a lot of room for expansion. Yeah, that's the beauty of the program and of working for Southern Glazers is that not a lot of people in in my company, at least in the state of Indiana, really know everything it is that I do. But they're amazing people and they trust what I do. And they're like, you know, just go be you. Just go do what you do I mean, with the program be with the community. For, like company wide, because I mean, more educated bartenders <laughs> means they're inevitably going to buy more product and not Absolutely. just stick with whatever they know. You know, like, yeah, and certainly the whole. We hope only is... buy Captain Morgan and Bacardi because that's what we know. Right. Like the better knowledge they have, they can find out. There's yeah, really and room certainly for the five. hope is that you know they see that we as a company are willing to not only recognize, but celebrate that there are lots of great brands out, out there. And some of them we sell and some of them we don't sell, but that's okay because they're all really great products and there's there's room for several distributors in, in the market. You know, that's, that's business, that's how it should be. And, you know, we don't want it to be a monopoly. So the, the hope is that the bartenders see that, that we celebrate that and that everybody has good products and there's room on everyone's back bar to have sure. a little something from everyone and that hopefully that that you know is a return on investment right, for us right and that they they do trust us because do you think there's any room for like a consumer facing course in the future where maybe it's not quite as as lengthy and yeah. and, and, and in depth but I, I think that there's probably quite a lot of people out there including some of our listeners that would totally be down with like a a four-week kind of, yeah. you know, rundown. Yeah, something more like my compact edition, which is like, that one's like four weeks, a yeah, couple days a week. Yeah, I, th I certainly think that there's room for it. I have to somehow Hire figure out how, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how to get a couple more of me in here. Um, that involves budget conversations <laughs> that I'm I not. do love your setup in here because it, it is set up like a bar. So that's worth mentioning as well is that, you know, and again, it's not just a bar full of products that you guys distribute. Yeah. It's a bar full of whatever is the best example of that. And like, I mean, I'm looking across 
the front with you've got God, what is it, at least two dozen garnish jars in yeah. front of us. You All have a whole range of fruits. three different kinds of syrups and yeah. juices. Purees, you've got booze, bitters. You got more bitters than a liquor store back there. Yeah, you know? and so. shockingly, we do actually sell all of those bitters, which is <laughs> a lot. We have so many bitters in this company, which is great. Um, it's like my little spice cabinet. I love it. Um, you even have a top shelf. <laughs> yeah, right. I keep some sign bottles up on the top, and yeah, maybe some some things that I don't get to sample as often. Because you models. have everything cr crunched in here so tight, are they, they able to actually, actually get back behind the bar and as though it were a bar, or is it just so crowded they've kind, kind of just got to make it? It's pretty crowded. Yeah. In, in hindsight, we should have made this room four times its size. But the way we set it up works for what we're doing. So our class is divided into three sections. So we have an hour-ish of lecture where, you know, there's a PowerPoint and handouts yep. and we take notes and things like that. And then we have an hour-ish of tasting. And then the last portion is where we actually get up and make some cocktails. So what we generally do is we have two cocktails that we feature for that spirit category. So for vodka, I think we did a, a shaken cocktail, which was a Cosmo, and we did a stirred cocktail, which was the Flame of Love. The students all pair up with um, whoever's sitting next to them, and one of them makes the stirred cocktail and the okay. other makes the shaken cocktail. The difference being we change the brand of the base spirit that they're using in that cocktail. So instead of having 12 identical Cosmos, we have... 12 Cosmos each made with a different vodka. Okay. So that you can taste through and say, oh, right. that's what Kettle One tastes like in a Cosmo. Or, oh, that's what, you know. It really cranks up the educational factor, like, <laughs> exponentially. Yeah. And that's why I always, I always say that people outside the industry, I'm just not sure how you could be outside of the bar and restaurant industry and ever be able to afford to get a good palate, you know, with, with yeah. booze, um, with food, it's a different story because you can only eat so much. Right. Mm -hmm. But with wine, I mean, we can taste 60 bottles of wine a week, but yeah. if I were at home, I mean, my really opportunities, expensive. yeah, it would be very expensive. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not going to have 60 bottles. You have to either toss away a lot of wine yeah. or drink a lot of wine. Well, and yeah, and that's kind of how it is with, you know, with the spirits and with the Academy and, um, you know, on our vodka class alone, we tasted 20 vodkas. Mm -hmm. I know vodka is still a, a very large uh, part of the part of the market, but in a lot of bars, you don't have 20 vodkas on the back bar, right. let alone be able to sit down and taste them all side mm -hmm. by side. We have one. <laughs> <laughs> right. But we go through and, and we're able to taste and talk about, um, you know, the the raw materials that were used mm -hmm. to distill that product and really taste the, especially in the vodka class, those subtle nuances that kind of make you open up your mind a little bit and take a category like vodka that is very easy to dismiss and mm -hmm. say, oh, wow, it's actually very relevant. And when you consider how much of the market share it has um, in regards to cons uh, to consumers to have a little bit more appreciation for something like vodka that can seem boring to a, uh, to a bartender these days. Cause it's, it's what they might consider the easy or the safe way out. But, you know, we really dive into it pretty heavily and talk about some really crazy tasting notes on, you know, we're not even tasting flavored vodkas. We're just mm -hmm. tasting standard vodka and tasting brands that have these crazy, insane, like cinnamon notes and, you're like, I swear they're adding cinnamon flavoring I mean, to this. I'll have to admit but that, you know, I've dismissed that category. But as we were talking about earlier, and I, I wish I could remember where I read it and who said it. For some reason, I'm attributing it to 
Giuseppe Gonzalez, but maybe I'm wrong mm -hmm. about that. About uh, someone had made a comment on social media. I think that, like you know, I don't drink much vodka, and the response was, "Then you don't eat enough caviar, son." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I, it may not be my first choice of drink. I have always been someone of the mindset that if the vast majority of my guests that are coming in are ordering vodka tonics and vodka sure. sodas and whatever vodka cocktails well, like on you the said menu, in the beginning, I need it, to respect that. It's got its place, right? And so not it only does it have its place because somebody wants it, but I mean, that is a perfect example. The caviar example is a perfect yeah. example. Like, I want to taste the thing that I just paid $1,000 for. You know, yeah. I don't want, you know, some overly complex, you know, bourbon butting up against it and yeah, fucking exactly. up the flavor of just something, the caviar. Yeah, right. just something. Something just very cuts light straight through there. Yeah. Light. yeah, exactly. Plus, you know, I've got a couple of Russian friends and, you know, that's what you oh, drink. Oh, yeah. That's what you drink. It just is, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no questioning. I don't get to, I don't get to break out my rum in those cases, <laughs> you know. Right. But like, put that shit away, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, Jess, thanks for coming on the show. Um, so how do people find you on social media or find out what's happening with the, uh, with the, Academy? With the Academy? Yeah, so, um, well, I'm on Facebook, and I was telling you earlier, I don't think we were quite on yet, but I'm terrible at all things technology, like the second worst person in the entire world. So I'm on the Facebook. I like that you rate somebody above you, though. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's Number one two. person Number that's two. worse there's, than me. But yeah, so I'm on, I'm on Facebook. It's just Jessica Taylor. Um, we I'm sure probably, you're the only one in yeah, based on Facebook. There's definitely a very unique name. I'm actually pretty easy to find. If you have any friends at all in the industry, I'm probably the first name that's going to pop up when you type in Jessica Taylor. Gotcha. Because um, tons of mutual friends. Yeah, all of it. There is one other Jessica Taylor who's in the industry and has a very similar job title to me who works in Ohio. I'm the one in Indiana. Okay. And I have more Facebook friends. Not that that means anything, but right. I just know I'm What's like your clout score? The, what you, yeah, I don't believe I that. I don't what, know what that means. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think anybody does anymore. I'm on Instagram, too, and I have to think because I'm really bad about actually posting on that one. Really? I think that one's See, a, almost like it's completely I -N -D migrated. It's I-N-D-Mixo. Like I-N-D-Mixo. Uh, M-I-X-O. So I'm on there. And I definitely post all things Academy on Facebook. Gotcha. Because I'm old. As my daughter tells me, only old people use Facebook. So, um, but we're all old people. I use that. So, yeah, it works out fine for me. The people I'm targeting, you all get it. But um, And then, please, if you're you know at all interested in the class, feel free to send me a friend request because I'm a very friendly person. And it doesn't matter if I know you or not. I will hit yes unless you're like a creepy weird <laughs> right. name with a picture that doesn't go with that name and we have no mutual friends then I that's a hard no and then if you're at all involved with the hospitality industry certainly talk to your Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits rep and they will always have updated information in regards to registration but outside of that Facebook's usually the easiest way we do have a Facebook page as well for the Academy of Spirits um, but that's just for right now anyway reserved for our alumni so that we can post um, job listings and gotcha fun facts and hey, articles cool. and things like that. I didn't that. know that. I might have to utilize that one of these days. Yeah, join it. Because we let facilitators in there too. So cool. you would certainly be able to come on there. Yeah, they don't see all the shit everybody says about me. <laughs> 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 yeah. Nobody says any shit behind um, me. I so, always warn them ahead of time. I'm right. like, you don't when, know who's looking. When Ed is, no, I warned them <laughs> yeah. about you. Oh, shit. I'm like, Ed is coming in a couple of weeks. There's going to be some interesting stories. There's going to be a lot of f bombs. <laughs> he's probably going to talk I'm about to be all the times he's gone to Jamaica and smoked pot with all these people and had all these crazy rums. And he's going to name drop like you've never heard before. <laughs> You're not going to know who half of the people are. So the important part is, but I'm, just trying, write I'm not trying to name down. drop like people no, I know. No, not in just a, people they should know. Yeah. 
no, yeah, never yeah, yeah. in okay. a like conceited <laughs> way. Just because you've met so many cool people, you have some really badass stories. It's like my favorite. I weasel thing about my talking way into like anything that I can. <laughs> well, that's that's if what I, I see love a about space, you. I'm like, I'm gonna get in there. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's why you're such an amazing resource because you have such an incredible amount of knowledge and you've met so many people that most of us can only dream of. I meeting. mean, and in a lot of those cases, it's because you there really is no other way to learn, and then because everybody's fighting for attention, you know, yeah. like I mean, I'm. Martin is a different story, but like if we were to use Martin Kate as an example, like mm -hmm. you, I've gone to events and, and hung out with him. It's like people are fighting to like say hi to him, yeah. introduce him, show their pictures uh, or show him pictures of their home bars and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, if you were to want to ask him questions about like Denizen's Merchants Reserve that he helped to develop or about his rum selection at Smuggler's Cove, like it would be very difficult to ask some of those questions because right. everybody else is like, hey, can you sign my book? And so you kind of just smart. have to like you elbow your way up to, to the front. Right? Yeah, you just walk up to him with a glass of Appleton 50 and you're like, <laughs> shit, so he's the one that got the Appleton 50 for us. I, will, I have to thank Martin forever for that because that's the only time I ever had that. And yeah, there was 25 of us and Martin shared that bottle with 25 of us. We each got one ounce and so <laughs> i mean hell there's God, i can't remember i think there's 700 or 800 bottles that even existed yeah, uh, i, I can't awesome. imagine there's that many of them that's still around but then again maybe they're all not all sitting around unopened <laughs> right. you know? yeah true <laughs> that's what i would be doing with it if it were my bottle as we wrap up i always ask everybody or i try to half the time i forget you know do you have any hangover cures because we've taught everybody how to consume the booze mm. but have we have we taught them how to negate the effects <laughs> on the next morning from overconsumption, which I'm sure we all tell the students not to do. Yes, of course. Yes. And we, consume responsibly. We always, yes, we always say consume responsibly and we always have lots and lots of dump buckets. And I always tell my students that if for some reason you should ever need a ride back to your house and someone to call your boss <laughs> Uh, to let them <laughs> right. know you won't be attending work this evening, please let me know because we'd rather you be safe than hurt mm -hmm. yourself or someone else on the road. Um, and we are kind of out here. I was going to say you are a little bit so out by the airport. So. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of a haul here. So, um, yeah, we always want to make sure that our students and everyone is is safe over everything else. So that next morning, there is we're just telling them don't drink too much. Um, so <laughs> what I, you know, what I said a long time ago, I remember being asked this in an interview, and I don't know that this is a real thing, but this is truly <laughs> what I do. This is what works for me. So if I know I'm going to be consuming a fair amount of alcohol, I take um, a healthy dose of milk thistle before mm -hmm. and then just like a good... I take it every day. I was going to say like just yeah. a good like daily multivitamin as mm -hmm. well, like always having that. So much of the hangover is the overconsumption of sugar and the, the dehydration. Um, That's my issue. Because yeah. I don't... I, I, I Nowadays... Whoever's drinking with me, I just ask them politely, like, hey, can you just make sure I have water with one yeah. water for every drink I have? Yeah. Because if, if I don't do have that, somebody babysitting fine. me, I won't. Yeah. I'll just slam daiquiris <laughs> all night. And then I'll be like, whatever, there's water and lime juice. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I usually, if I, on the rare occasion that I do still get a hangover, I usually do one a leave. Two double shots of espresso. I don't. That's probably not. I thought you were going with booze when I was like two double two shots, double shots of, of chartreuse. My <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The double shots of two double shots of espresso, and then the the one to leave, and just a ton of water. And I'm usually pretty solid then. Yeah. But I don't. I don't drink in excess very much anymore. The it's nature hard. of my job. I know. I'm getting too old for this, and I can't. And there's a lot of people like crashing and burning too. Like I mean, yeah. you look around the industry and you see people that have like 
you know, that 20 years, 25 years of doing this is catching up and it's start, yep. starting to take a toll where yeah. some people are losing their lives. And, and, you know, we've talked about that a couple of times on the show of, you know, mental health and the business and yeah, yeah I, I can't either. Like I, it's just the next day is just terrible. It's hell. Yeah. You know, I do dumb shit. I mean, everybody does dumb shit when they're drunk, but you know, it's yeah. just to the point where it's not worth the, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing cause I'm just thinking like, yeah, in three days I'm going to Southeast Asia, <laughs> and I'm gonna, not going to have any work to do. It's the first vacation I've had since 2012. Oh my gosh! So um, there might be I mean, I've taken like a few days here or yeah. there, you know, but like literally not having anything to do for a month. Oh yeah. Um, I'm yeah. I'm gonna, I'm probably going to go crazy by not working, but I'm definitely going to try to fill my time by visiting some of the best bars I can in yeah. Singapore and Bangkok and. Gonna it's gonna be amazing. Drink, be drinking beer on the corner in Hanoi, and yeah, <laughs> you're gonna it, drink so much. <laughs> it's gonna be yeah. I've already got uh, got my connections. Um, thanks to Kate Perry and uh, John Go in the Philippines. He's helped nice. me out, and so they've given me some connections in Singapore. So I'm very much looking forward to uh, to meeting everybody and and uh, checking out the amazing scene because it just looks ridiculous. Yeah, I'm also so maybe, I'm taking a whole extra bag just to bring rum back. Uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, I bet you'll find some interesting hangover cures there as well. Yeah. I feel like they might differ slightly from what we do in the U.S. So this will <laughs> likely be our last episode that goes up before oh, the yeah. Asian episodes start. So I And I'm not sure how long. I'm going to be in Asia for a while. Um, and so there might be a couple months worth of, of interviews coming out of Thailand and Singapore. So, oh, that's so, um, cool. so yeah, we're going to branch out. Everybody can learn about what's happening on the other side of the world. And, you it's know, incredible. some of the, I think Americans often, you know, forget that there's like a larger bar scene in other cities, yeah. you know, outside of New York and San Francisco and Chicago. And, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very pumped about Singapore and Bangkok. Oh, um, that's so cool. So I'm striking out a little bit more, um, about finding some cocktail joints in Hanoi. So if you're out there and you've got some recommendations, find us on Instagram at shift drink podcast. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to like checking out any places you might recommend. So, and I'll come back with hangover cures for you, Jess. Yeah. We'll have to, maybe next time we'll just do a whole thing on hangover cures and we'll test them out. Yeah. I don't want to be the one that's hungover though. Right, right, right. (laughs) How many students testing out is going to be hell. Because, I mean, we're, we've been asking this question for three years. Yeah. So, yeah. Three. Someone did an article and on that's this one day. several years ago. Do you remember that? I don't. Gonzalez and myself and a couple others got interviewed. We did the interview and the a live portion at Thunderbird. I think it was someone from either Nuvo or Indie Star. It was someone from a local paper. Um, and they came out and everyone, <laughs> everyone was instructed to come in hungover. Oh my God. <laughs> we were going to do like these hangover cures. I don't remember the result of it for obvious reasons. But yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a thing. So you should dig that up. Yeah, Arthur's been talking about doing a book of like a compilation of all of our answers from our guests for years. So oh my gosh. We'll have well, to make it. I think we're still only like, you know, 75, 76 episodes in. So it's going to be a, a pamphlet. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's not quite a book well, yet. You could have a book of just Arthur's cures. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and you'd have like an hour on squirrels. And oh my God. The jackal, <laughs> the jackal uh, booze that he was drinking in, yeah. in, in Nepal. Yeah, he's got some stories, man. You talk about my stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I, I can't hang with, with his stories. <laughs> yeah, he's a wild man. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, especially yeah, as I'm you. getting ready to head out of town. I know that it was like hard to squeeze this in, so I appreciate it. And I will see you tomorrow to teach from. Awesome. Thank Cheers. you so much. Cheers. Cheers.